Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome back to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where I ask my guests to tell me five things from their life that they'd like to have in a time capsule. They can put four things that they cherish in there, but they also have to pick something they rather regret, something they want to bury in the ground and never think of again. My guest in this episode is the actor Sonny Ormond, who's been playing the outrageous and wayward Lillian Bellamy, the archer, in BBC Radio 4's The Archers for 22 years. She's roared around Ambridge on a Harley Davidson, drunk the bull dry, absconded to Costa Rica with Wicked Tiger, had frolics with Justin Elliott and leapt into bed with Tiger's brother, Paul, a part that I'm delighted to say I had the privilege of playing. Sonny trained at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama and has had many years in theatre, appearing in London and the provinces, including the Bristol Old Vic, Leicester Haymarket, Ipswich, Theatre Cluid, Salisbury Playhouse, Wimbledon and the Pitt Lockery Festival Theatre, and the Chester Gateway, where she did over 20 productions. Sonny is a seasoned radio actress and has recorded well over 400 plays and short stories for the BBC, including Calendar Girls, Project Raphael and its sequel Project Archangel, Death of a Secret Wife, The Return of the Native and the afternoon play A Fine and Private Place. Her favourites, she says, have included The Monument on Radio 3 and 4, The Adventures of John and Tony with poet and comedian John Hegley, and the Who Done It Odd Body series with Stephanie Cole and Annette Badland. She's been a regular guest artist for the science fiction audio company Big Finish on many occasions, and her two one-woman shows, An Evening With and Dorothy the Airings of an Archer's Actor's Aunt, have been delighting audiences around the country for several years now. She also has a podcast, One Stiletto in the Grave, which she makes with her writer friend Jane James. So this should be fun, shouldn't it? Paul and Lillian reunited. Not in the biblical sense, obviously. You join us as we're talking about the amazing June Spencer, who's played Peggy in The Archers since it started, and of course who recently retired. 
Anyway, have fun. Apparently, you have to get 101 before you retire from the Archers. We had clear, well, no, 103, actually. 103? <laughs> yeah, just, just to be correct, 103. <laughs> oh, my God. She is completely extraordinary. Amazing. She is, I just love, I wish she was my real mother. She, I love her. She's given extraordinary service. 103. Amazing. You know, she's still in studio. She was so professional, but it goes back to those days. She was telling me one day, fascinating woman, when she first started in radio and it was all live... If you fluffed, you, you you were probably sacked. And when they used to record the arches, first of all, they would rehearse all the scenes, but then they would start to record, and they would record from beginning to end of, oh. of the entire episode. And so if you fluffed in episode two, you had to go right back to the beginning. So wow. you can imagine the pressure on you as an actor. Oh, my God. Can you imagine you would have been persona non grata? But I think that's why she was so hot and so professional and so mm. prepared every time that she came into studio. Amazing. I'd have had to be on Valium. I couldn't have cope with all that <laughs> love. But oh, she's great. I love her. I've only ever once done a live broadcast. It was for Poetry Please, which is the most frightening, I think, yeah, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's three and a half minutes. And no matter how much you practised it, you still think, oh, God, there's that little bit there that always catches me out. Yeah. And just to have, you know, Roger McGough going, and now we have Michael Fenton Stevens <laughs> reading... The Larkins by Miss, you know, and you go, oh God, and the little red light goes on, and you think, oh, geez, I'm terrified. Yes, 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 but you got through it all right, didn't you? I did, yeah, I did. Ah, <laughs> uh, Sunny, I have to say, one of the happiest periods of my life was working with you. I, I enjoyed every moment of it. I can't believe how many times we had to snog each other. I know, <laughs> and I think that sofa bed, you know, in the Archer's uh, studio has never been used so much. You know? No. <laughs> but, of course, there was always three of us in that relationship, wasn't there? Because there was always the spot person as well, rustling the duvet and, uh, you know, and all that. And the spot person, of anyone who doesn't know, is, is our hands, really, in radio, isn't it? So they have to sort of do all the rustling of duvets and hand us the cups. It's a bold decision, though, isn't it? And we did make it together, I'm fairly sure we did that thing where first of all they say they are kissing and you try to do that thing where you kiss your hand and (laughs) it just never quite works is it and so in the end we both went we might as well kiss each other yes it's one way of getting to know somebody really quickly yeah indeed (laughs) and make yourself feel safe with them it's lovely yeah 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 yeah. it was a lovely time and actually you know there are still some little clips of us on the archers website really yeah you know when you said we were going to do the time capsule i thought i'll just go and have a look and revisit all that and it was just Mm. delightful and it was so touching we were very good (laughs) oh well you were what I don't understand is why you don't do every radio play that's on the radio, because you are, without a doubt, the best radio actress I've ever worked with. Oh, Mike, what a lovely thing to say. Well, it's no. true. I wouldn't say oh. it weren't true. But you know, we... you do it with such ease and you do such detail and you do it so quickly. I mean, I know that's preparation, that's hard work that's gone into it beforehand, but the casualness with which you just flip it off, and it's so easy to work, obviously, that's, a, that's the oh. point. It just makes you better, but oh. it made me better. It was so lovely for me because, of course, you know, Lillian has always been the good time gal, hasn't she? Mm. You know, gin swigging, cigarette smoking, manhunting. And our storyline enabled me to really look at different aspects of her that I'd never explored before. Yeah. And that was just really lovely. And they were so tender. And I always remember being quite devastated when Paul was leaving. I thought, oh, no, oh, no. Because you do build up, don't you? That oh, I think no, I remember you coming yeah. into the green room and saying, well, I think that's it. I think I'm off, you know. Yeah. It, it was, was very weird. Yes, they sort of caught me on the stairs and said, do you realise this is your last recording? And I went, oh, and it was it. 
But you know what? Now, you could come back. It could be Dallas, couldn't it? All over again. It could be Dallas all in a terrible dream. Or there is another identical twin that nobody knows about that was adopted out, comes back on issue. Editor, I've sold it. Yeah. Well, I think you and I should elope to EastEnders or something. <laughs> so, that would be fun. Oh, Although that it was a lovely period for me because I had lots of... I don't often do things not in this voice, you know, yeah. my speaking voice. And yeah. and Paul was just a little bit more working class and a, a little bit rougher, yeah. and it had quite an effect on a number of uh, listeners. It was I very knew weird. it did. I mm. knew hearts were a fluttering, weren't they? <laughs> and, I, and actually, and, and I listened to um, your lovely interview with Angela Barnes, and there was that uh, lovely moment when she didn't realise you were Paul because she's a great avid archer sister. Oh, she's mad! And I thought she came over all a bit unnecessary when she. <laughs> <laughs> It was just a lovely moment. For, oh, you were poor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, so I lovely. thought it looked like disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not how I pictured him at all. <laughs> no, it worked beautifully, didn't it? It was a very sad story, I think, yes. because you could tell all the time that they were so close to finding something new and a happiness that I, I think you're right that Lillian had probably never had before. Mm. She'd always, in a way, been someone's partner, you know, been yes. someone's other half. Yes. And suddenly this was much more of an equal partnership. Absolutely. I always had to justify it. People would say to me, well, you know, we're supposed to be in a relationship with Matt, how could you? And I would justify it by saying, well, actually, in my eyes or in Lillian's eyes, I think that you and um, Tiger look <laughs> very alike. That was how I justified it. So, yeah. and because she could never really get hold of Tiger, you know, he was always aware. But suddenly, with Paul, he gave her the love that she mm. could. That was always my justification for finally saying yes. Okay, this was the man that you loved, but yeah. showing you attention. Yeah, 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 yeah. And really caring about you, it seemed. Well, I've been so lucky with my bows um, mm. in the arches. I mean, just all lovely. And yeah, we've been bouncing on that sofa bed quite a lot. Post, <laughs> post fifty, amuses <laughs> me, you know, as an actor. Post fifty, you know far more than pre-50 but they're not just you know it's a it's a, it is a family actually mm -hmm. um and i hope we were welcoming when you came incredibly you would think that if somebody new comes in everybody would think oh dear watch out this could be replacing me as it were yes. having someone else there and a storyline going on with a new character it will diminish the amount that you're doing so I could understand if people were a bit mm. reticent or slightly mm. jealous of the situation, but they weren't at all. Mm. They were fantastically welcoming. I mean, I think that's the awareness that the show needs to move on all the time. Mm. Absolutely. And when I joined in 2000, it was a smaller cast then. They're probably a cast of about 20. It was just at that time they were beginning to expand and get larger. And I, I remember feeling a little bit of what you just said then, oh God, what are people going? Because I am an art show and she's coming back. And, you know, mm. what are people thinking? But very quickly I was embraced by everybody. And then it shot up, you know. I mean, there must be about 80 characters now in the art show. Obviously not yeah. all of us used all the time, but it is a big cast. So it has changed inevitably. You get different producers, different editors. But the point is that it's been going for 71 years and still going. You know, and we've got some really yeah. good younger actors that have joined recently. Really, really good, yes. Really yes. good, actually. Yes, yeah, somebody was saying to me recently, can't you go back and play another character? Because you've yes. played two characters, haven't you? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. Before, I, I played, I think she was called Mrs. Whitehouse. She was a probation officer. She was responsible for putting Susan Carter in prison, I remember. It was her evidence. And then, yes, I played Zoe, the New Age traveller. Um, <laughs> she took Kate off to some New Age festival or something. And all I remember, she said, right, a lot, right. 
right. <laughs> it's just... So when the call came for Lillian, it was like, oh, right, OK. okay. Yeah. You're lovely, Mandy. I mean, she's an archer, isn't she? And I remember, you know, I'd be saying, oh, I'd love to meet my... And she, no, no, doesn't want to break the illusion. What's No. She's the person who had the idea that I know everybody at the Archers was very keen on, which is that people on the Archers should be paid a million pounds a year so that they remain completely anonymous. Mandy, be my agent. Yes, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. It is interesting, isn't it, for me as well. Certain people will join the cast. I won't have worked with them. I've, I've no idea what they look like. I probably won't work with them for months. So I'm imagining what they look like on air when I listen to them. And mm. I have the same reaction. I go into studio and think, Oh, oh, that's you. Ooh, not what <laughs> of course, it's, yeah. It's, you know, because we all do it, don't we? You know? Oh, how interesting. I mean, that's why, you know, one is blessed having been in the Archers, you know, for 20-odd years. You, you've got time to, to hone it down. I mean, you listen to yourself and think, oh, don't like that. Maybe try that. And I know with our, some of our scenes, because obviously they were very intimate, a lot of them, <laughs> I, do rem- I do remember at times trying things out vocally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember there was one day... I once it was you, I do remember, and I was really quiet on radio. And I, whoever was producing said, I don't think we're going to hear you, Sonny. And then they went back into the cubicle and said, oh, it's fine. Mm. And actually, just how small one could be. And sometimes the smaller it is, the more powerful it is. Yeah, it's mm. lovely. But that's what I say about, you know, that's you. You've led that. That's your skill. And I just went with it. That's very sweet. Thank you. Well, I don't know whether just to chat to you for a couple of hours here. I know. And forget the whole idea of by time. I know, I know, I know. But, you know, it was interesting as well when I got Lillian as a character, of course, because she is this huge character, Mike. Mm. And and that was a real challenge to to make her work on radio with just my voice because she's a kind of three-dimensional you know what you want to see her physicality and I had to because that's the sort of woman that she is Mm. and I had to that was how in fact here we go I'm rambling on really but how I got it I think was because of the laugh (laughs) because I was told that they wanted this new kind of gin-swigging, cigarette-smoking gal. And I thought how am I going to do this vocally because I my voice was quite light in, Mm. in some ways and I thought, oh, I think now what I've I've heard enough radio, I've done enough radio myself. Maybe a laugh. Let's see what I can do. Can I make it ginny? Can I? And I I remember the night before I was lying in the bath. Don't go there with the image, but I was lying in the bath. <laughs> and I thought, what? I thought, oh, maybe a laugh one. <laughs> and I thought, oh my goodness, sounds like a sheep. Never mind. I'm not going to get the part because they think that I'm I'm too young anyway. And of course, lo and behold, I got it. But I think that was possibly one of the reasons I got it. But that laugh, in a way, the freedom of it, yeah. that I think encapsulates the character. This is yeah. a person who, given the opportunity, will jump at yeah. something special, will jump at pleasure. Absolutely. Seize the day. Just yeah. absolutely yeah. go for it. And that's why she's, of course, she's such fun to play because mm. she often says and does the things we'd all like to possibly say and do, but don't, you know, and perhaps yeah. people love her, you know. And so yeah. I've been blessed, really. Can you imagine any avid archers listening to us now? They just don't know well, what to do with themselves, will they? Because they will be hearing <laughs> Paul and Lillian. Oh, it's funny. It's yeah, lovely. It's so lovely, all this. It's lovely. But I, I'm not gone quite as rough and, and as, <laughs> as deep as I was. No, darling, and I won't be going to do that. Oh, oh it's such a hoot. Such a hoot. <laughs> Sally, let's explore. Yes, let's explore finally. We've things. only been on here for about an hour. Uh, right, OK. <laughs> Let's explore things okay. by looking at things that you've chosen to go into a time okay. capsule. I'm really interested. In all that time, I don't think we ever really talked 
much about other things, you know, things yeah. that we'd yeah. done and where we came from and things mm. like that. So mm. it would mm. be really interesting for me to hear it. Mm. So what have you chosen? Well, now, yeah, interesting because it does take you back and make you think a lot. And I, I selected certain things, then I rejected them, and then I selected certain things. I thought, no, right. So my first one is a play uh, which is called The Bluebird by Maurice Maitlink. And it's a, it's a children's play. don't know if you've mm. heard of Maurice Maitlink. I no, mean, I haven't. About no. 1908 or something like that. But um, he was a Belgian poet and a mystic, actually. But anyway, the reason I've chosen this play is because when I was about nine or 10 we did the play at school the bluebird and the bluebird of happiness basically and it's a bit of an allegorical type of thing but at the time I think a lot of schools were doing it so I played the character of bread right I was nine or ten and there there were other characters you know like fire and and uh, light and dog and cat you know it's very allegorical and Mm. basically these two children Tiltil and Mittil go on an adventure with all these creatures and people like light and red to find the bluebird of happiness. And um, we did it. It was quite a big thing at school, really. We didn't do it at school. We actually went to a hall in Macclesfield, Cheshire, which is where I come from. And it was Mm -hmm. quite a big deal. We did about two or three performances of it. And um, I, I really enjoyed it. And after the first performance, people were coming up to me and saying, that was really good. I was going, Oh, all right. And lots of you, lovely. That was so lovely, Pat, because my real name is Pat. Lovely, Pat. Suddenly I thought, oh, that's interesting that people are saying they like something that I did because I wasn't academic particularly. I was a very shy child. So it was quite nice. I thought, oh, oh, that's lovely. I'm enjoying myself. And it took me back then to when I was about five or six. This is about having an audience response and suddenly Mm. all that energy has opened up inside you. When I was about five or six at school, we did the princess and the dragon and I must've been playing the princess. And I remember again, this vividly, the princess, obviously, because it's, you know, I am very young then, but she encountered obviously the dragon and the princess had to scream. And I must have screamed like Billia, right? (laughs) And the audience laughed like you're laughing. They just laughed. I thought, why are they laughing at me? I did. Of course, years later, I realised they were laughing because I must have just put everything into it. And that was my the first time I got an audience reaction. So that's why I'm remembering these things. I'm remembering the princess and the dragon. I'm remembering the bluebird because I, it suddenly sparked off the idea that maybe I could not perform, but that I could stand up in front of people and do things and people quite liked it. Mm. But the other thing about the bluebird is that my wonderful teacher was a woman called Joyce Wood. And she was the one that really set me on the road to becoming an actor because I come from a non-theatrical family. But Joyce was a brilliant teacher in that um, she wanted to make sure that all her charges, all the children had every theatrical experience or creative experience that she could muster for them. So Mm. we'd go to the Halley Orchestra in Manchester. We'd go to the ballet. And she even took us in the Bostock coaches down to Stratford-upon-Avon. Wow. To, to the RSC, right? Now, this was a long way in those times, Ben. It was before the motorways were really properly constructed. So she was really determined to do this. And I can remember going to the and RSC. You were young as well, then. Oh, we, I was young. I was young. She was determined she would take us all. And I can remember the first thing, or one of the first things that I saw at the RSC was David Warner's Hamlet mm. in 1965. Wow. I was 11. And I can remember looking down on the stage 
And I just fell in love with it, Mike. I fell in love with the sights, the sounds, the smell, because I'd never been anywhere like the RSC before. And I just thought, I want to do this. I made that decision at 11 years old. And of course, David Warner was wonderful. Well, everybody was in love with David Warner. And he, mm. you know, he was probably the Hamlet of his generation. And years later, I had the great opportunity. I was working, I worked with him. And uh, we found ourselves in a green room on our own because everybody else was in cubicles uh, recording. And I thought, oh, can I say something? <laughs> I, really, I went back to that 11-year-old. I don't know yeah. what to do. I don't know what to say. And uh, I said, David, I've just got to say, you were such an inspiration to me at 11. And, blah, blah, blah. and you know, you're a marvellous Hamlet. And he was so lovely. He was so uh. Of course, he sadly died quite recently, hasn't yes, he? Yes, he did. He's such mm. a wonderful actor. But he was just so gracious and so lovely and said, oh, thank you so much. Because he was only about 24 or 25 when he did it. Of course, And, yeah. you know, he said it was such a huge role because he'd almost been plucked, you know, from the spear carriers to do mm. it. And he said some nights he would be very mindful that the rest of the spear carriers were behind him thinking... Bloody hell, wasn't they, Hamlet? <laughs> so I got a completely different side, you know, to, to my experience of Hamlet. But that was a great joy to be able to say that to him and, and to think, gosh, I've, you know, come such a long way from this little girl that sat at 11 years old. And I'm actually working with this man now, which was which was just a joy. And then I can still, I can feel it, the experience of looking down on the stage and, yeah. and seeing it. And I, we, I was very fortunate because, you know, I remember seeing Eric Porter doing Shylock and I think Diana Rigg doing 12th night Viola. I mean, there were there were loads of people. And also I remember the wonderful Peter Brooks um Midsummer Night's Dream. I don't know if you ever wow, saw yeah. that in the white box. I didn't know. The spider's web, isn't it? Yes. It was such a productive time at the RSC. It was such an mm -hmm. exciting time then. And Judy Dench, of course, I saw her wonderful in Winter's Tale. I will never forget because she played Hermione and she played Perdita as well. It was really inspirational. So I have an awful lot to thank Joyce for. So mm -hmm. within the bluebird of happiness within the play, there is a lot about my childhood and the beginnings of me, I suppose, becoming an actor and the pleasure that I got from an audience, the beginnings of that, the kernels of that. And the other thing that I used to do, I remember at the time, <laughs> I used to love Sunday night at the London Palladium. Do you remember all that? Oh, yeah. Who Bruce didn't? Forsyth and all that. Brilliant. And uh, I always loved it at the end, you know, where you get the guest star and somebody like Shirley Bassey. And because my I, I came from a farming family, my dad was a farmer, so I grew up on a farm for the first 12 years of my life. And we lived in this quite big farmhouse. We weren't wealthy at all, but, you know, farmhouses are always big. Yeah. And I remember that we had a vestibule. I love that word, vestibule, <laughs> which was attached to the lounge. And I take myself into the vestibule, which is a porch, and I would take a hairbrush and I would stand... <laughs> I would stand in the vestibule with my hairbrush, singing my guts and lungs out, pretending I was Shirley Bassey, doing something uh, like, oh, finger, and I would just, you know, and of course I, I could do it because nobody could hear apart from the sheep and the pigs, you know. Um, but, um, yeah, I just found the love of performing. And it was interesting because I was a very shy child. And I think people were quite surprised when suddenly I get on a stage and, I don't know, you know, cry, laugh, whatever I would do with gusto. People would expect if you're an actor that if you're in a room, they say, oh, will you make a speech? And yes. for most actors, that would be a nightmare. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I am a show-off, and you well, ask I know me you to are. make a speech, I'll jump at it, you know. But... <laughs> no, but you're right. We're made up of all sorts of personalities, aren't we, as, as mm. actors? And, and I think there are a lot of quite shy people. I came across a little letter that my lovely Joyce Wood had written to me in 1968, 16th of December. I was about 14, and I'd obviously helped her put on some plays. And she said, Pat, thank you for your help with all the plays. Many people see only the glamour of the play performance, and I know that you are 
understand that glamour is only a part of it. There's a great deal of very hard work. Other people, friends of mine who started with me and are now in the theatre, are glad for the taste of theatre that they had here at school. And I hope you will feel that. And one day from some lofty theatre, I hope you will look back and remember me. I give you my thanks and my love. Oh, how lovely. So, it's a beautiful letter. So, mm. why I'm mentioning it is because many, many years later, I played Shirley Valentine. I played her three times. And it is quite daunting, Shirley, because, you know, mm. it's it's a two-hour piece. It's a 32-page monologue. And I remember this letter that she sent me. And I was standing at Harrogate Theatre on my first night, having got through it at the curtain call, thinking, how the hell did I do this? But I've done it. <laughs> and I did look up and I thought about it. I thought, yeah, I'm now looking. I'm from some lofty theatre and I am remembering you and I'm thanking you because without you, I wouldn't be here. Because I had no idea how to do these things, Mike. Because no, no, an of course not. Family. And also from that, taking me to the RSC, I was very unhappy at school at the time because I'd moved from the school that she was at. I'd gone to grammar school just for a couple of years and um, she knew I was unhappy. And there was a little leaflet that said, this new course, DLA, is starting um, at Stratford College, A-level students, drama and liberal arts course, blah, blah, blah. And she looked at it and she said, what about that? And I said, I can't go there because it's Warwickshire and I live in Cheshire. She said, just have a look at it. Anyway, looked at it and, oh, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I applied for this course. I mean, it was in the days when counties would pay other counties for kids to go to school. It was yeah. the only course of its type. It was the first one. It was, it was started by a guy called Gordon Valens, who became quite well known. And it was a drama course, which was combined with A-levels, the first of its kind in the country. I went for an interview and they accepted me. And Cheshire paid Warwickshire for me to go. And so I had two wonderful years at Stratford. College. People like Ben Elton and Simon Pegg, all, a whole load of people um, went to Stratford College. Mm. And then from there I went to Guildhall. But it was Joyce again. She said, look at that, look at that. And I had the most fantastic two years of my life. It was, in fact, probably two of the happiest years of my life, being in Stratford away from home. My parents were amazing, but they let <laughs> I mean, yes. the things we got up to, sorry, mum. Uh, but, you know, we did get up to all sorts of things. Like, <laughs> oh, I was a bloody marvellous time. Of course yeah, you did. Yeah, of course. I mean, that, that's the joy of it. That's the joy, is it? And in Stratford, you know, of all places, seeing the wow. wonderful shows. But we had a wonderful time. But, it, again, it comes back to Joyce. An amazing woman. It's not like she'd not done it before, though. I mean, yeah. that letter shows there are other people in her life that she'd led down this route and Absolutely. she'd shown the way. She guided right. them in. It was a mission. It was a mission in life. But with complete confidence that you were going to do it. That letter also shows yes. when you are there, yes. when you do this, not <laughs> if. That's it. And and she opened it all sorts of doors to me. It wasn't just about becoming an actor, but she unlocked a lot about me in my personality, about mm-hmm. questioning, gave me self-belief, self-confidence. The world is yours for the taking. Yeah. Um, you know, I will forever uh, be in her debt. And, and sadly, she died in her 50s. She got yeah. lung cancer because she was a great smoker, darling Joyce. But, you know, she took us when I was 11 to Florence. The whole wow. pack of us went, went to Florence. You know, I mean, she just believed, she, it was her mission, I think, in life, just to educate and, and to show as many possibilities, to give them the opportunity to see. Well, it's what education is and what education should be, not just teaching people lists, showing them what can be done in the world. Absolutely. So that's my first one, the bluebird of happiness. That's fantastic. Thank you. Well, we put that in there safely. All the memories. Lovely. Okay, right, let's move on to number two then. 
Okay, for everyone who isn't an Acast Plus subscriber to this podcast, where you get this podcast uninterrupted by adverts, here are those adverts, which, you know, if you like adverts, that's fine. No pressure. See you in a moment. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to part two of my chat with the delightful Sunny Ormond. Sunny by name and sunny by nature. Join me next week as I talk to the slightly morose Peter It's Pissing Down. Anyway, let's find out what else from Sunny's life she'd like to have in her time capsule. Okay, number two. Uh, Well, my father's work back. Now, my dad died in 2018, uh, not that long ago, and I adored my father. Absolutely Mm. adored him. And I was devastated when he died. He was... um, he was a farmer's son, born in Derbyshire. They were quite a poor family. He was the eldest of, of the family, and he had to work really hard, you know, all his life. And actually, he would like to have been a vet, my dad. But because he was the eldest son, he had to leave school at 14, and mm-hmm. he had to work on the farm. And he was a self-made man, but he had to keep reinventing himself throughout his life. And that's one of the things that I so admired about him. And he gave me that belief in myself about, look, things don't work out one day, they will the next, you just have to keep going. So he was a farmer's son. So then he he got a farm himself. We lived in a farm called Shatwell Fowl Farm, very unfortunate (laughs) name, Shatwell Fowl Farm. (laughs) So we lived there till I was 12. And what happened to my dad was he had a Frisian dairy herd, uh, which he'd worked really hard to build up and then over one particular winter they wanted to make some butter and they got a little jersey cow in so that they could make butter from the jersey cow and Mm. unbeknownst to them she was riddled with tb so they were all in the stalls of course over winter and basically all of them had to be slaughtered Mm. and i do remember the huge cattle wagons coming to collect these these cows and I can hear them now going over the cobbles you know and and being pushed up into the cattle wagons and seeing my father doing this with a stick and even at the time thinking my god that this really must be awful Mm. and then the next thing was I was sitting in the lounge and my father was on the telephone to my grandfather and I think my grandfather must have said to my father well what you going to do love then you know now this is up and my father obviously going I don't know, and just broke down in tears. And I remember at the time thinking, you're my dad, you you can cope with anything. But then he reinvented himself. 
And one of the things that my dad did, he had some really interesting hobbies. He 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 was a rally driver. He loved rally driving, right? Okay. And he was in this thing called the car club in Macclesfield in in Cheshire. Uh, He used to go rallying with all his chums. I mean, once I remember, my dad went rallying in it the night before and then bashed it into a wall. I mean, you know, my mother went ballistic with him. I I was just terrible. But it was a friend of his at the car club called Brian Hadfield. So Brian Hadfield said, look, come into the business with me. And Brian was a car dealer. So my dad then became a car dealer. He was a good car dealer because he, not that dad was in any way a rogue, he wasn't, but he was a very real man, my dad. You know, you, you Ken Wainwright, he's a sound man. He's never going to do anything bad, you know. And he actually did very well. But then that all came to an end. And then he reinvented himself. He started to work for Unilever as a cattle specialist, completely changed gear again. Wow. So that he went to, he went to advise farmers, you know, about what grains they should feed the cattle and so on. But he was sort of coming around full circle. So each time he was jumping about in these really sort of strange areas and then eventually he sort of reinvented himself and they bought a and b and I'm telling this story because I just so admired that Mike mm. you know the fact mm-hmm. that he just he got up every time these things happened and he shook himself off thought right come on then we'll start again we'll do something else we'll do something else yeah. And he was a wonderful dancer. He adored ballet. He adored dance. And he was a wonderful ballroom dancer. I mean, it's so extraordinary. A farmer, he, he got all these sort of strange, you know, things. The reason the bag is because just about six months before he died, we were going to actually sand down my garden table and he brought his bag. It's all sorts of stuff in this bag. I don't understand what some of these tools do. I mean, but, you know, this was his <laughs> life, yeah. this potpourri. And... Unfortunately, he was taken ill. He went into hospital, had to be in intensive care. Dementia started. So he never did come back to sand down the table. But I just happened to have, because he left with, with me, his bag, which had treasure. Yeah, I bet. All these things were so important to him because he was a doing man. And I remember his hands, Mike, mm. and I, because I loved his hands. They were really strong, safe hands. And when it was my 21st birthday, I remember uh, we had a big party and I remember him whizzing me um, around the dance floor, waltzing or something. And he, because he could dance so beautifully, it was just sort of like being in seventh heaven. It was a completely different experience. He just whisked me around. I mean, I did nothing, you know, Mm. but it was his hands again, these wonderful hands. And after he died, I remember going to see him at the hospital. It was his hands again, and touching these hands. So, um, Yes, this bag is really important to me. It sounds a bit bonkers, doesn't it? No, not at all. It's a, it's a potpourri of the man, the many facets of my father. And he loved me unconditionally and was totally supportive and was a marvellous grandfather to my son, Jake, absolutely marvellous. And, uh, yeah, just a, a good man with good values, you know. Mm. Um, and that bag is full of things that he's over the time put in there to move on to the next thing, which mm. in a way you've absolutely inherited from him. That ability to go, okay. Absolutely. Earlier on, before we started recording, you described yourself Mm. as a glass half full person. Mm. And you definitely are. That thing Mm. of, okay, on to the next thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I've certainly inherited that from him, you know, watching him from the sidelines, constantly having to reinvent and take care of his family. And, you know, it can't have been easy. But I mean, at one point when he lost his money, he went around washing cars. Mm. Nothing ever stopped him from moving forward. And as actors, we deal with this all the time, don't we? Rejection and, you know, thinking, oh gosh, well, I've had that success, but I'm not doing very well now. But I've always, I always had him as an image. Anything in life, look to the future because there's always something positive around the corner. But you've just got to keep gird your loins and think, right, well, tomorrow's another day. 
off we go. It's extraordinary that he never really let anything go. No. All right, I'm not doing it now, but one day. Yeah. And you can see again and again that he just would pick up on something that, okay, I've always wanted to do this, I'll use that. Yeah, It's that's an right. amazing skill, a br- yeah. brilliant strength. It is. It, it, it is. And he self-taught it. I mean, he was a wonderful stonemason, but he was yeah. all self-taught. Yeah, so um, my dad's work bag, actually, I would like, because that, that would bring back a, a lot of memories and I can touch it and can't quite smell him anymore, but, you know, it, it would bring him back to me. Okay, right, that's going in. Right, okay, yeah. Number three, two cushions. Two cushions. So let me explain about the cushion. One cushion is a Manchester United cushion that belonged to my son, belongs to my son, Jake, who's now 27, but is a Manchester United fanatic. And this cushion was given to him when he was about seven or eight. So that's the cushion. And then there's another cushion, which is the cushion that was made for myself and Sue, my partner, for our wedding ceremony in 2005. And it was made by a lovely friend of ours, Tina Gray. So we have these two cushions. And the reason that I want them together is because We had a wonderful ceremony in 2005. And in fact, I think we possibly, we were either the first or we could have been the second gay couple in Warwickshire. Really? Yeah, uh, I've got the date exactly here. It was the 22nd of December that we got married. But it was really early December that, you know, it was passed that gay couples could could have a civil partnership. What happened was that at the civil ceremony, which we had um, in Stratford-upon-Avon at one of the Shakespeare properties, which was wonderful, Jake, our son, who there was only 11, preceded us down the aisle, myself and Sue, right, uh, with his red Manchester United cushion. And on the cushion were our two wedding rings. Right? <laughs> so he preceded us down the aisle with it. And we had a wonderful ceremony. It was all marvellous. And, uh, and then he sang 42nd Street to us. Oh. Uh, because the year before we had been to New York, we all love New York and we'd actually stayed in a hotel on 42nd Street and we'd seen the musical 42nd Street as well and so he thought it would be good fun to sing sexy ladies from the 80s and all that you know to us so yes those two cushions are really important to me because they represent the two most precious people in my life Mm. who sorry I'm getting a bit who are Jake and Sue and Sue is a theatre director radio producer extraordinary in that she was a very early female director I mean now many female directors which is marvellous but when she's started out it was tough but she's always been very much clear-minded I think her father was said to her Sue always have a go at things because what's the worst thing can happen can they kill you know they can't so you know she did all that and she achieved a, a huge amount and we've been together now 42 years so you know a long long time and Jake when he came along was I'd always wanted children, but because we're in a gay relationship, you had to think very carefully about doing all that, certainly 27 years ago. So we were fortunate enough to have Jake, who is a wonderful young man. And I, I you know, love him to bits. He's he's delightful. He's compassionate. He's just lovely. And I do remember that when I had him in hospital, um, the night after I'd given birth, it was just he and I in this very quiet hospital. And I remember looking down at him and thinking, this is a complete miracle because I do not believe that I'm actually holding a child in my arm. And that the song from South Pacific, Getting to Know You, came into my head. And I can remember just very quietly, you know, singing, Getting to Know You, Getting to Hope You Like Me Too, you know, and it was just lovely. lovely. It's just a lovely moment and it's Mm. something that is precious. So I wanted to to obviously put them in the capsule, but I thought, no, let's put the cushions in the capsule because they represent uh, these two most precious people in my life. Absolutely. I'm going to make sure the Manchester United has two small round indentations on it. Yes, please. That's what, that's what I would like. <laughs> right. 
that's that one. So my next one, yes. that has to be the Archers. The Archers theme music and Lillian's laugh. Because <laughs> even when I hear myself, it makes me laugh. Um, and <laughs> we all need to laugh, don't we? But I mean, yes, you know, we, we've covered a lot about the Archers, but basically it did change my life. Um, yeah. 22 years ago when I got the part and I didn't know it was going to change my life in such a way, but of course it did. And I'm ever grateful for it. Mm. And she's become a friend to me and I, I Lillian and I, do feel very privileged to been able to play her for as long as I have, to have got to know her in the way that I have, because it's rare, isn't it, for us to be with a character for this length of time, Mike? Well, you know her life. Yeah. That's the weird thing about it. It's not a part in a play where you've had to, you know, people say, so what's the backstory of this character? You go, I yes. know the backstory of this character. I yes. know everything about her. That's right. And and sometimes when you get new writers or you get scripts and you think, well, I'm not sure that she would say that. Um, mm. They're very good in the archers about that, but you do tend to know them, the character better than other people. I remember once there were, it's come time ago, actually, it was when Kim was still in the programme. And I think we had a scene, a domestic scene, and Lillian had to say something like, oh, um, Tiger, will you go and get my slippers? And I said, no, 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 no. I don't think Lillian wears slippers, you know, little so. <laughs> I think she might wear mules, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure that, you know, because it sort of suggested that they were these, you know, old-fashioned. Yeah, cosy older couple. You go, no, no, no. No, that's not her. So, yes, you do get to know them very well. But, yeah, it's changed my life completely. And, and you know, we've had all sorts of cruises that I've gone on, lovely arches cruises. I remember mm-hmm. going to the Chelsea Flower Show very early in the morning. We were doing a scene, but we were able to get in, you know, before anybody else arrived. So we had a jolly good look. I mean, there's been all sorts of things. And Victoria Wood, that was one thing that I treasure, dear Victoria Wood, because Mm. she came in, it was it 2005, it was, she wrote a a script for Comet Relief or wrote an episode, I should say, for Comet Relief of the Archers. And the idea was that the listeners voted. There were about four celebrities who could finish off the episode and the listeners had to vote for whichever celebrity they wanted. In fact, it was Stephen Fry who who won it. And I think we raised about £14,000 or something. It was a lot. It was lovely. But we were all in the episode, this very funny episode that she wrote. And uh, I remember her giving the line to Lillian, because Lillian obviously is a G&T gal, Mm. but in this particular one, she was drinking vodka and Vimto. (laughs) She was having a V and V, not a G&T. And it was just peppered with all these things. And I, you know, sadly because she's died and, Mm. and, um, you know, I just feel really grateful that Victor Victoria Ward wrote several lines for me and she was charming and she was very shy. Mm. You know, when she came to the read-through, she was very shy. It was like, yeah. oh my goodness, I'm sitting amongst these archers, actors, you know. And she wanted to, she was lovely. She wanted to come in and be spot with us, you know, spot but doing yes. the hands for us in the scene. And it was a scene in The Bull and it was me and Buffy who plays Jolene. And she wanted to know how she was supposed to pour a pint, you know, and she, <laughs> she couldn't do it very well because there was an art to all these things, as we know. Yeah. Spot people trained for a long time to do it and I remember she was looking at us and saying how do I do it and I think I am telling Victoria Wood how to pour a pint in the bowl it was just bizarre you know what a loss but uh, it was a very very funny episode so there's been all sorts of things one woman shows which I've taken around the country and you know a lovely show with John Telfer in fact mm-hmm. the Sue, Sue wrote about Philip Larkin and John plays um he's a fantastically talented man isn't he oh too talented ridiculous I don't like him I don't like him. He's a fantastic guitarist. Yes, yes, yes. 
and a wonderful actor too. And, mm. and you know, some of Larkin's poems are kind of unspeakable in some ways. They're great to read, yes. but he just makes really wonderful sense of them. So, yeah, it's, it's enabled me to do all sorts of things and to have a life of an actor, radio actor, because I do love radio. I love mm. the spoken word. So that's been a constant journey and still is a constant journey, mm. you know, how to improve. You get that strange thing, though, because you never know who's an artist fan. So you must go into shops and be talking and, and do people suddenly stop and stare? No, because they don't know my face. You see, no. That's the joy of radio, isn't it? And you're not Lillian. It is a character. When you do it, you become someone else. It's it's very clear that. Yes. But I was <laughs> on a plane coming back from Greece or somewhere. This is years ago now. And it was one of those flights where everybody had to go on very late. So everybody was, you know, trying to get things that are overhead lockers. We were all mm. struggling, falling over each other, dropping things on people's heads <laughs> and all that. And we were coming up, you know, trying to find our seats. Oh, bloody hell, where we are. And I must have said, oh, for goodness sake, I don't, I just don't know where it is. I think it was Sue I was with. I was shouting them out. And this woman to my right suddenly stopped her. Are you Lillian in the Archers? I mean, it was just bizarre <laughs> in this in this manic place that we were in. And I looked down at her and I said, yes, because I wasn't in the best of moods at the time. I said, yes, yes, I am. Oh, she said, she couldn't possibly do your laugh for me. Could and I'm like, yes, all right. Ha. And it just sort of shot on. It was the most bizarre thing. Yes. But, of course, the joy is nobody does actually recognise me. When we moved to the mailbox to record, it was mooted that there was going to be a window within the studio. I don't know if you remember this. Oh, yes. That the public could then take a look at us, you know, actually recording. And we all said, no, thank you very much. I don't want people to see me, you know, with my hair or bedraggled. No. It is there, the window, but it's got a little curtain across it. Because I I think it would break the spell for people, for heaven's sake. You know, you don't want to be watching Lillian picking her nose when she's waiting to go. You know what I mean? I mean, (laughs) you you just imagine. So, yes, it's just been a complete joy and it's changed my life and and long may it continue. And I'm very proud of the programme. And when we talk about you doing this character and knowing this character inside out that's a character that's had a very full life you've had to go through every emotion from absolute joy and wonderful excitement being very funny playing those really funny scenes Mm. and then heartache and and awful things happening to Lillian Mm. and you've had to go through all those things and you do go through it when you perform those things Mm. particularly if you care about the person you're playing which the more you play it the more you would Mm. and so you've had to in a way suffer the things that she suffered Mm. you're so right and I and that's why for instance you know when dear June as we know Jude Spencer has just left the program Mm. at 103 who played my mum Peggy it has been quite an emotional wrench that she's gone Mm -hmm. because we have had some emotional scenes and, and actually we had some lovely scenes when she was sharing with Lillian um her life with Lillian's father he was an alcoholic and what mm. she went through and it was I know it sounds bizarre but you do absorb all that and I and I just miss that relationship because yeah. there's nobody in Ambridge that can speak to Lillian in the way that her mother can <laughs> and so no. that will be a whole chunk of Lillian that I can't relate to anymore and you know and like for instance you know when you left you you, you build up an emotional relationship don't mm. you with the character and when Kim went you know, it, it, you do feel, because you, you've built up these strong relationships, that you do feel a bit bereft. Strangely enough, just the other day I heard uh, the Reverend Richard Coles talking about grief. He's just written mm-hmm. a fantastic book about grief, and he described it, the death of somebody that you love and that you're involved with. And mm. he said it's not the loss of the person necessarily that is the thing that's so painful, but mm. the loss of your expected future together. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And at the time, that's not a thought you'd even think until the loss is there. Mm -hmm. You don't think that thought, do you? Until 
that's happened and, that, and it's been severed. Yes. Very interesting. Mm. So um, You've got one thing left. That's what I'm going to say now. Is I know, you've got I have, one thing been. left that you're something you want to get rid of. I know. And it's going to be two, but it's going to be very quick. Okay. I couldn't choose between. Now, the first one is I went to Guildhall School of Music and Drama for three years. And uh, we worked very hard at Guildhall. But occasionally we would have an afternoon off. And this particular day, I went with my friend, Helen Duval, who was in my year. Helen Duval, if you are listening, I would love you to get in contact with me because we've lost touch. But anyway, ah. Helen Duval, right? Yeah. And uh, we went to uh, have coffee and a pizza and a chin wag and, you know, and all those things you do when you're at drama school and, and uh, at Pizza Land. Do you remember Pizza Lands? Not Pizza Huts. Yes, Pizza Land, yes. Pizza Land. They were, they were mm. pre-Pizza Hut. And when you went to Pizza Land, you could have a, a slice of pizza and a baked potato and a bit of cold stone. It was all marvellous. And anyway, we'd <laughs> been in there for hours and we'd been drinking coffee, coffee, and we suddenly noticed time that, oh my goodness, we've got a class or whatever. Right, we better go. And I thought at the time, I think I need the loo. But, oh, I'll be all right. It's not that far. It's not that far. <laughs> and... <laughs> Right. So, right, yeah. So Helen said, come on, come on, come on, come on. Good to go, go, go. So I'm going down, get up. And as I'm walking, I thought, oh, I think I should have gone to the loo. I'll be okay because I know where the loo is when I get in there. I'll be absolutely fine. Anyway, got on. And as we got to these huge, beautiful steps, because it was the old Guildhall School of Music and Drama in John Carpenter Street, beautiful building. Mm. As I stood on these steps, I thought, something strange is happening to me down below. <laughs> and I just completely wet my I mean the water poured out like a waterfall it was like oh. Niagara and I just stood there this water was pouring out all these people on the glorious steps of Guildhall <laughs> and Helen Duval she looked at me she could not stop laughing I thought she was going to wet herself as well <laughs> I have never forgotten that and I remember thinking my god I've done something terrible to my bladder and I'll never recover <laughs> my bladder did recover anyway that's the first one right yes we'll treat that as performance art I know I think I'm very brave telling the nation this but anyway that's right but the second one was, um, in order to work, as we know, in the 70s, you had to have an equity card, right? Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine went to work for Triumph Theatre Productions in the office in reception. And often what would happen, a show would go out on tour and that lovely little person who was answering the telephones would be sent out with an equity card. That was the way they got their card, right? Yeah. So that's what happened to me. And I went to work on a show called Don't Just Lie There, Say Something. And this show had John Pertwee in it, who, Doctor Who uh, fame. And uh, it's been a very successful play, I think, at the West End. They've decided to take it out on tour. Now, I was supposed to be going out as an assistant stage manager, ASM, you know, helping just sort the stage out and props and things like that. But oh, no, 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 no. I became the wardrobe mistress. This was a, a clever way of trying sort of not having to pay more money, right, yes. for a wardrobe mistress. So the ASM, who was on £30 a week, had to be the wardrobe mistress, right? Now, because it was Don't Just Lie There, Say Something, it was about a bed. So there were lots of sheets involved, lots of people jumping in and out of bed every night, white sheets, which had to be washed every night because of actors' makeup and so on and so forth. Now, mm. we didn't tour a washing machine with us Ugh. or even any sewing equipment of any kind. So I, every time that we went to a new theatre, and I remember Bournemouth, I found a laundrette and I washed the sheets. I also washed one of the actresses' blue denim jeans and I put them both, the sheets and the denim jeans, in the dryer and the white sheets came out with blue spots on. <laughs> the next thing that happened was and I was dreading it, that anybody would ask me to do any repairs to their costumes because I literally 
I'm hopeless. When I was at school, it took me two years to make a skirt. By the time it was finished, I'd grown out of it. You know what I mean? I'm just hopeless. So I was dreading it. Anyway, one night, John Pertwee said to me, this waistcoat design wearing has never fit me properly. He said, can you take it up? It's too low. It's too low. I did not know what to do. He was a big man, John. You know, about six foot three or something. Yeah. And I'm very small, right? So I said, right, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. What do I do when the show's come down? I'll come to, come to the dressing room. <laughs> I mean, what am I going to do? So I knew that night, fortunately, John had quite a few people in to see the show. So my strategy was this. Uh, I went to the dressing room the show and he was there talking to his friends in the dressing room. So I said, right, John. Uh, yes, I, I'm fine with me, with me little pins. And I get a chair and I put it behind John because I'm small. So I stand on the chair and I make sure that he's not looking at the mirror. And I just grab two chunks of this waistcoat and I just stick pins in there. <laughs> and I said, right, John, that's it. That's marvellous. Thank you very much. Have a nice night. I then am just in tears and I go to the stage door. And now the stage doorman in all theatre is usually about 60, 70. They're usually lovely. They're like mm-hmm. your granddad, aren't they? Right. And he said, What, you know, what's wrong? I haven't got to take this. I don't know what to do. He said, right, Hang on a minute. Hang on. So he made a phone call to his wife. He said, This girl shouldn't tell the stage. You know, pins are on. This woman, his lovely wife, said, Right. Tell her to give you the waistcoat and I will see what I can do. Oh, right? wow. So he took the waistcoat from me. This, his wife, did whatever she felt that she could do with the pins in the waistcoat, came back to me the next day. I hung it up. I just prayed. I just prayed. I'd done the right thing. I had no idea what I'd done. I hung it up in John's dressing room. And I was waiting for the door. I'm saying, bloody hell. I thought, oh, God, this is just awful. I was just waiting. I was a rocking with fear. And I heard the door open. I thought, oh, Christ, here it comes. Here it comes. He said, darling, bloody marvellous. Fits like a glove. Thanks, darling. <laughs> you got away and, with it. And I got away with it. And then other people would come and say, I can I have a new zip in? Can I have a... And I would just <laughs> commandeer the stage dorm and their wives always could. So I spend all my fees on flowers and chocolates. But it's true story. I'll never forget it. I was so terrified. So I'd like that to go because the memory makes me a bit hot and sweaty now. Yes, I bet. <laughs> I bet. The worst thing in the world to be out of oh. your depth. Oh, I know. So, yes, let's throw that away. Let's get rid of it and never think of it again. And never think of it again. Both lack of bladder control and lack of needle control. <laughs> lack of needle control. Just gone. Give me a script. I'm fine. But please, you know, I don't want to go. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Sunny, it's so lovely to see you. and It's been a joy chatting with you. Thank you so much. It's just been a great joy. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my lovely guest, Sonny Ormond. My thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, then please do subscribe to this podcast for all new episodes as they're released. And do rate the show so that others can be guided to it by that very high rating that you give us. Of course, if you have time. And, of course, the effusive but beautifully written and constructed review. Well done. Your English teacher would be so proud. If you want to get in touch, then do follow me or my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook, where we're very happy to chat. You'll also see the odd, odd being quite a good description, photo of my life and exploits, such as they are. Well, it's mostly days out with the grandchildren, but it's probably worth a look. You can download or stream the theme tune anytime you like on Spotify. It was written by Pass the Peas Music. This has been a cast-off production for Acast. Our producer was John Fenton Stevens. Right, it's good to be back after our gap in output. The first gap we've had, actually. But, of course, it was done out of respect for the Queen. 
I did go up to London, actually, over the extraordinary period leading up to the funeral. Amazing, there were people from all over the world. Actually, I saw one woman dressed from head to toe in furs. I wasn't pleased about that, but she was standing on a sledge with a pack of huskies at the front of it. I said to the policeman standing next to me, where's she from? He said, Alaska. I said, oh, don't bother Alaska myself. Oh, come on, the jokes are free. So you know what they say. You get what you pay for. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.